Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor Brad Schallenberg. You can look us up at www.peacelc.com and learn more about our church and the ministry that we share. It's a privilege to teach you the Word of God today, and we're going to talk about what it really means to love. And we're approaching Valentine's Day. And it seems from all the advertising that no one really knows truly what love is. So when it comes to words that are misunderstood and misused, I would submit that the word love is a candidate for the most misunderstood, misused words in the entire English language. We tend not to know what love is, what love does, what lo- where love comes from, or where it is going. Now, there was a time in my life when I didn't know what love is, I thought I knew. When I first met my wife, I was around 17 or 18 years of age, and I met this caring little Austrian girl. But I was headed away to school in another city. And this was before the internet, and this was before free long distance phone calls. So for the first half of the school year, we wrote to each other almost every day. And then when I came home for Christmas break, we decided to be boyfriend and girlfriend. I know, it was kind of cute. It, it happened on Boxing Day, as I remember, and I think the conversation took place in the laundry room of all places. And so to this day, if we have a quarrel, We promise to always have a clean fight. Get it? That was a joke. Boxing Day, laundry room. We spent another half a year writing letters, this time love letters, to each other. And by the way, we still have them. Every other long weekend, I'd take the train home, 23 hours one way, just to see her, spend a day, maybe a day and a half with her. It wasn't a big cost because my dad worked for the rail company and I could spend the 23 hours studying and reading so it worked out really, really well. When my wife and I first decided to go out I think I told her something to the effect, you know, I don't just date a girl for the fun of it. If we date, it's because I see you as a potential wife. No pressure there. You see, the point is, I looked at love as what's good for me. She was going to make my life better. Now, as I studied the Bible back then and now, I learned more and more about love, real love, true love, God's love. God's love started to fascinate and captivate and transform me. It's something I'm still learning and will be learning for the rest of my life. But one of the things I was most convicted of is that my love for others, particularly the person that I thought I loved the most, was that my love was selfish. It was about what benefited me, not just what benefited them. And so as we jump into the 
Word of God today. I know that some of you are not as familiar with the Bible. Some of you grew up in religious homes and you had a Bible in your home, but you still don't know what it means or understand how to study it. When it comes to the Bible, the truth is it can easily become a little overwhelming. I mean, even a little confusing. It's actually a library. 66 books written over the course of a few thousand years by some 40 authors in three languages. I mean, there's over 700,000 words in that book. If you've ever picked up the Bible, you may have had a hard time trying to figure it all out. In all of this overwhelming amount of information, who's the most important? What's most important in this incredibly ancient and fascinating book? And the answer is Jesus Christ is the most important person in the scriptures. And that's not just my opinion. The Bible itself makes that very clear. The scriptures testify of him, witness of him. And the most important theme of the whole Bible is love. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment of all those commandments in the book of the law, the book of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, some 613 laws, he said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you, if you want to give something to someone that you don't have that you don't have what would you have to do well you'd first have to know where you can get that something from so you'd have to go out and get what you wanted in order to give that something to someone else so you've got to go and receive it first and then you can share it and the same is true of love if you want to love someone, first you've got to get love before you can give love. Over and over again, the Bible commands us to love others. Okay, well, where do we go to get that love? We are called to love strangers. Where do we go to get that love? We're called to love our enemies. Where do we go to get that kind of love? When God tells us to love, it sounds like a horrible weight or a duty put upon us. It can seem overwhelming and impossible. I mean, I don't innately possess love, so I'm going to have to get it from somewhere. But before God tells us what to do, this is what I love about God, before God tells us what to do, he tells us who he is and what he has already done. And the Bible tells us that God is love. That he is the source of love and all love flows from him. I mean, the Bible is really a love story of God's love for his people through Jesus Christ. And before it talks to us about our love, it talks to us about God's love. And this is really important. Otherwise, otherwise the Bible becomes a series of principles to live by. Instead, about a person to live for, a person named Jesus Christ who is, shows, and does the love of God. 
Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Think about it for a minute. Love the Lord. Not just yourself, the Lord. With your heart. How much of your heart? All. You're like, I love the Lord with my heart. All your heart? No, there's some other stuff in there. That's not good. I feel bad about that. Some days I want to love the Lord. Some days I, I want the Lord plus the other stuff. Some days, quite frankly, I just want to love the other stuff. And then it says, love the Lord your God with all your soul. How much of your soul? All. Wholehearted, full-on devotion to the Lord. Yeah, I, I couldn't put that on my resume either. I haven't loved the Lord with all my soul. And then it says, with all your mind, every thought captive to Christ, that's the way Paul puts it, every thought captive. That means I'm thinking God's thoughts, what God says. That's what I think, and there's no variation. I don't disagree with the Lord. I don't argue with the Lord. I don't doubt the Lord. I think God's thoughts after him. I love God with all my mind. How many of you could honestly say that? Right, I didn't think so. It is impossible. I want you to feel the weight of it, though, because here's a good question. We can't love God who is perfect. I mean, he should be easy to love. How on earth are we going to love our neighbor, other people, who are far from perfect. The worst Bible teachers in the world are the Bible teachers that get up and say, okay, this is what the Bible says, now let's get out there and do it. A real Bible teacher gets up and says, this is what the Bible says, you can't do it, it's impossible. You're going to need some help. You are going to need God's help. We're going to need someone who can love. We're going to need a savior. Love of God, love of neighbor, love starts with the love of God. God does love you and because he loves you, he pours his love into you so that his love can be poured through you. This is what Paul says to the Romans. God poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, Romans 5, 5. So first of all, there is no right understanding of love apart from the love of God, the God of love, which is only to be found in the word of God. Our world has no understanding of love. It doesn't, it just doesn't. To understand love, we don't begin with ourselves. We begin with scripture. Scripture reveals to us who God is and how God loves. 1 John 4.10 In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I can't overstate this enough because there are two things that are customary for people in our culture. One is to live in a way that is autonomous, which simply means I make my own rules. I live by my own rules. To think that all authority is to be found internally, meaning 
I'm an individual, I'm an independent person, I live my own life my way. And when it comes to what I think is right or wrong, loving or unloving, what should be done or not be done, I don't go outside myself, I go inside myself. What do I want? What do I think? What do I need? How do I feel? How do I see this? What are my inclinations, my preferences, my tastes? The Bible sets up a very different worldview, that we don't live in a way that is autonomous or live autonomously. We live under God's sovereignty, that God rules over us. God is our creator. That means God is our boss. Jesus is our king, the Bible said, that today he's seated on a throne that he is high and exalted and he's ruling and reigning, that we don't live our life autonomously on our own, we live it under his rule. And that his will for us is not to be found internally, but externally, that is to be found in the scriptures. You shall love your neighbor. And sometimes when we hear that, we think of love, we think, of all the ways we've not been loved, we don't tend to think of all the ways that we've not been loving. We tend to think of all the people that have failed us and not all the people we have failed. We tend to think of all the love that we believe we should still have coming rather than all of the love that we should be giving. So God here is doing something incredibly loving when you think about it. He doesn't just say be loving. He says, love your neighbor. He's saying, neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. Other people live on the earth. Other people are having a hard time. Other people are feeling lonely and hurt. God wants you to have his heart for others. And the Bible gets real practical and says, do for others as you do for yourself. You feed yourself, feed someone else. You clothe yourself, hey, clothe someone else. You pray for yourself, hey, pray for someone else. You help yourself, help somebody else. It doesn't say hate yourself. It doesn't say destroy yourself. It just says add other people to the list of people who get treated the way you treat yourself. And this is the way God's love is because the way we've been living is not working very well, is it? Love is not to be selfish. And so God is going to do for us what we can't do, and then he's going to teach us how he loves. And he's going to invite us to love with the love that he has. This is the beautiful thing about our relationship with God. And here's what this means. Jesus never sinned. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, Jesus. He can check that box. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, Jesus. He can check that box. Love the Lord with all your mind, Jesus. He can check that box. Internally, externally, continually. Perfect, sinless. And Jesus did that all for us. So Jesus fulfills the law for us. And he does a work in us so that we now love this law. And we love the king. And we want to obey the king. And we want to serve the king. 
and we want to become more like the king and love the way he loved us. So the will of God to love is fulfilled for us in Jesus. It's fulfilled in us through Jesus, and it's fulfilled through us by Jesus so that our desires start to change. One of the ways you know you've become a Christian is your desires start to change. You're like, yeah, I want to live under Jesus's rule. Not apart from it. He knows what he's talking about. I want to live in obedience to the scriptures, not in disobedience to them. I want to become more like Jesus and less like who I am apart from him. I want to love like he does. Then, as Jesus Christ starts to live through us, we start loving God, we start loving people. It shows up in intensely practical ways, like friendship, generosity, gift-giving, encouragement, forbearance, patience, and endurance, because that's what our Jesus is like. He wants us to be like him. Romans 5.8, God shows his love. Love has to be shown, not just felt. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you wonder, where's love? What does love look like? What does love do? Close your eyes and think of the king getting off his throne on high, coming down to obey his own perfect law, to go to the cross and to suffer and die in the place of his enemies to make them his friends. Think of Jesus with his arms stretched out, inviting you to embrace him. 1 John 3.16 By this sacrificial gift, by this we know love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. Know this. Christianity begins with God's love for you. Before God asks you to love him or love anyone, he loves you first. And he gives you his love to love him back and to love others. Not that we have loved God but that he loved us. It's one thing to love your beloved. It's another to love your enemy and make them your beloved. He loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, in our day, when the conversation of love comes about, usually it gets run off the road into the ditch. And the ditch is this. This is what we hear today. Love equals tolerance. You'll agree with me. You'll support me. You'll stand by me. You'll in every way be my advocate and you'll just take me as I am. Don't call me to repentance or to change. God's love begins with tolerance. Think about it. So come as you are, God says, whoever you are, whatever you've done, However you failed, whatever laws you have broken, come as you are, broken, needy, rebellious, self-righteous, proud, religious, clenched fist, tear-filled eyes, come as you are. God is tolerant. He welcomes through Jesus Christ everyone and anyone. 
whatever race, whatever income level, whatever inclination, whatever activity, he welcomes you. But love quickly moves from tolerance to transformation. You can't receive the love of Jesus and not become more like Jesus. You can't receive the love of Jesus and not start loving what Jesus loves. God loves us so much that he doesn't just tolerate us. He transforms us. The truth is, we want to become like those we love the most. Think about it. And if Jesus has loved us the most, I mean, he gave his life for us, then we love him the most. We want to become like him. See, the answer to all our problems is always the same. It's the love of Jesus. And if I could be your pastor for a moment and make this very practical, what he's saying is it's hypocritical to receive mercy from Jesus and not extend mercy to someone else. Jesus, I know you forgive people who have done what they have done to me, but they've hurt me so deeply. They have wounded me so significantly. They have disappointed me so painfully that I cannot forgive them. And Jesus would say, I forgive you and if you receive my forgiveness, it's a gift I'm asking you to share. But Jesus, what they did is so awful. And Jesus would say, I know. It's worse than you think. I had to die for that. If you feel that you're hurting, I assure you, I sympathize. But Jesus, I won't let them get away with it. Well, maybe you should call the police if a crime was committed. But Jesus would tell you, I dealt with sin at the cross and no one got away with anything because I paid for everything. God loves you and he loves your neighbor. Though it seems impossible, God's love will change you and you will want to become more like the one who loves you the most. Who do you need to forgive? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to move on from? How do you need to love those whom you find it most difficult to love? You can't muster that from inside yourself. You need God's supernatural love to love that way. And to get there, you've got to answer this question. How has Jesus loved you? And how can you share that love? So I believe that you want to be the loving person God created you to be. I really believe that. So here's what we're going to do. Jesus told us to ask for anything in his name and we shall receive anything. Do you think he had in mind like a new car or maybe a new pair of shoes? I kind of doubt it. He was thinking of much bigger things. He had something much more important, something like the ability to love unconditionally, undeservedly, unselfishly, like he has loved us. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. Paul gives a description of love, and the Bible says, actually Jesus' little brother James tells us, 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So we're going to do that today. We're going to do what it says. So I'm going to read God's word to you. And then I want you to respond. And I want you to respond verbally. So listen. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Starting verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Jesus, help me to be patient and kind. Can you say that? Jesus, help me to be patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Jesus, help me to not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Jesus, help me to not be arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Jesus, help me to not insist on my own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Jesus, help me to not be irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus, help me to not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus, help me to bear all things, believe all things, hope for all things, and endure all things. Love never fails. Jesus, you never fail. Jesus, you never fail. Thank you. Amen.